0: Your ears do not deceive you. You You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview.
1: What the hell was that? Wait, where's the intro music coming from? Wanted to increase production value? Why now? i'm sitting down with david Desmalchin. okay i get it fine i'm getting on with the intro now you're probably already familiar with david's work on screen in hero franchises like the suicide squad the ant-man and the wasp movies dune or perhaps the cw's flash tv series david has superhero parts shall we say on lock but he does some other stuff too as a lifelong comics fan recently started a creator-owned project for Dark Horse Comics called Count Crowley. Volumes 1 and 2 are out now, collected in trades. To give you a quick snapshot of the series, aspiring reporter Jerry Bartman is furious when she's demoted to hosting the nightly creature feature at her small-town TV station. But she quickly learns there is more to horror hosting than just introducing bad B-movies. During her first night in the costume of missing predecessor Count Crowley, she finds herself face-to-face with a living, breathing werewolf. Or was she just that drunk? Touching on classic monster mythologies with a twist, I got a chance to catch up with David to hear more about the series and a little bit about what else he's been up to lately. Check it out. (sighs) Stupid Yeti messing with my... We grew up around the same time, and the Count Crowley series gives me Elvira movie macabre, 80s B-horror movie deliciousness. There are echoes of creepy and eerie magazines in here, too. What were some of your influences for the project?
0: I'm glad you asked, and thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. I was raised in Kansas City, and I used to sneak downstairs late on Friday nights to watch our local creature feature, which was hosted by Crematia Mortem. Uh, She was my first crush next to Tigra of the West Coast Avengers fame, and uh, she was... The person who kind of ferried me across the river Styx into the world of all of my deep loves for Universal, Hammer, um, RKO, William Castle, Monster movies. Um, When I was a little bit older, I fell in love with the power of comic books and comic book storytelling. And um, I began to find old issues of magazines like creepy and classic horror and famous monsters magazine and scream magazine and house of mystery, you name it. And, um, and so all those things had a big impact on me. They just entertained me. I always found it really fascinating. And, uh, and I love monsters. I love makeup effects. I love the artistry of creating worlds. I love, um, ancient mythology. I love modern science fiction. Um, so it's just this, this place that really spoke to my imagination, as it does to so many of us monster kids, you know? Oh,
1: absolutely. Well, kind of unlike your typical B-horror movie trappings, your, your main character, Jerry Bartman, isn't running around in skimpy clothing, though. You know, this is kind of a transitional way of representing a female lead in this environment, you know, especially in the 80s, where the story's set. You know, she's happier in combat boots and, and very content being
0: independent. Thanks for noticing that, Byron. I was very intentional as the character was coming together and I was imagining what she looked like, how she moved, how she existed, that when Jerry Bartman, the you know aspiring reporter who has now been relegated to hosting the Creature Feature, puts on the horror host attire because she has to do it herself. And she's kind of scrapping together from boxes of leftover props of the previous Crowley. I wanted it to look DIY. And it was also really important to me that like the plunging bust lines, the hiked up skirts, all of the kind of, uh, uh, pinup, uh, monster hunting or monster world, um, you know, vixens that we've loved in the past. And don't get me wrong, God knows I love Vampirella. God knows I love Elvira. God knows I love Crematia. You know, sure. I mean, she was, like I said, one of my first crushes. But for this character, eh, to me, s- sexiness, by the way, comes in all shades. There is a spectrum of what it is that is sexy to me. Um, so sometimes, Somebody who's kicking zombie ass like in Hack Slash, wearing a rad, you know, revealing outfit, could be cool or sexy or whatever your version of that may be. But for Jerry Barman, it's like we're talking this person. She has been through the ringer, man, and she is punk rock, and she is all like, it's like jean jacket, ripped jeans, combat boots, like you pointed out. Um, it's much more functional too, as she starts to get into the real fighting. Of these mm-hmm. monsters, the way that she dresses, and sometimes it just so happens that she's coming out of work, so she's dressed in the Count Crowley attire. Sometimes she's just in her regular, you know, maybe she's wearing a, a MC Five shirt and a, a pair of old, you know, dungarees, and uh and she can. She's got this gift in her. She's got something in her that she doesn't even know exists yet. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to. Um, bring that to life. And I got to say, I had all this in mind as I'm writing the character and 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 then I had written some very, you know, strong descriptions. Like I created like documents, character sheets, and I created a kind of fake Wikipedia page for Beloit. And I created um, a history of what monster hunting has been in, in during humanity's time. And all of these documents went over to Lucas while we were courting him to see if he could if he would be interested in writing or drawing, I'm sorry, count Crowley very quickly. We got his first sketches back and I was over the werewolf moon (laughs) when I saw this was the first thing he sent me. I mean, he just, I got this image immediately and I was like, he gets it. He gets me. He, he, he understands me. Like, he completes me as a writer. Like, this was, it was so nuts. I, I, I opened that PDF. I was so nervous because I'd been living with this character for so long. And I thought, here's this artist that I love. Did I do a good job conveying the ideas of how to manifest her in image? And she's looking at me. And I'm like, that's her. It's just her. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing how an artist can make uh, your stories transcendent in ways you did not anticipate.
0: No, I had no clue. I knew I was so excited and so nervous. And I knew it was going to be, it was just every moment of this journey I'd been pinching myself because I always have loved comic books. and I've always loved horror. And I always dreamed of getting to do something like this. But to do it at the level that we're getting to do it, thanks to Dark Horse, thanks to my editor, bringing these people into my life, like Lucas and Lauren and Frank, um, it's, it, it, it's a very special thing. And I, um, and that's why every page, every panel, I want to be meaningful to my readers. And I hope people, you know, just can see the depth of love and care and thought that we put into each, uh, each bit. I mean, I, I always said too, cause I'm obsessed with the old ads from comic books. Mm -hmm. And I always said to Lucas, let's create when we can specialty pages where we plop in, you know, old ads and fake ads from comic books. And some of the really awesome and subversive stuff that he's been able to like slip in here for me has just, it's such a joy.
1: All right. That seems like a good spot to take a quick break and pay some bills. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what a Yeti likes to drink in the morning? It's no mystery. Just like you, Yetis enjoy a great cup of coffee. That's why Comic Book Yeti has teamed up with Flint, Michigan-based Rootless Coffee Company for our second year of collaboration, featuring breakout indie comic star Lane Boyd. Lane created their own unique Yeti design that is featured on every bag of our limited medium roast Brazilian origin coffee. Head on over to rootlesscoffee.com to snag a bag before they are all gone. You wanted me to tell you it has notes of dark chocolate, dried fruits, almonds, and cherry. Because our Yeti is bougie. We're back. One of the things that uh that really stuck out to me and was meaningful to me, um, one of the intriguing aspects uh, of your protagonist's character is is dealing with, you know, alcohol addiction. Yeah. Uh, in a very direct and honest portrayal of the struggles of the disease, you know, plus she's dealing with monsters. You know, I, I used to be on the board of directors for an addictions recovery clinic in Washington state. So wow. first, thank you for including it in this way. And what was important to you about adding this element into the story?
0: specifically? You know, Byron, I, as as you know, grew up in Kansas City, just obsessed with horror and comic books. And I had this idea pretty early on that how cool would it be to maybe make a movie or a TV show or a comic book series or write books about this guy who. Is kind of a down on his luck loser who ends up, you know, hosting the creature feature, and it turns out that monsters are real, that everything we've been told about them is a lie, and that he has to go to battle. Um, so that was kind of this long gestating idea for me. Now, going into my um, going into my uh, adulthood and the struggle that I've had with addiction mental illness, this story started to take on new meaning to me. I started to really think about, wow, what can monsters represent beyond just the things that we fear in the dark, the things that we fear of the unknown, perhaps even the things that we fear about our own mortality, which are always great questions to think about when you're working in the, the space of horror, right? Yeah. But what about the things that have to do with mental illness? Um, what about the things that, 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 that represent intense depression anxiety what about addiction and how that is manifest in monsters or the monstrous what about hatred racism um what about uh uh uh, you know sexism what about uh uh, toxic behavior uh, abuse of power how is that represented in the mantra so all of a sudden all these amazing metaphors were coming to life and i was like wow i could take classic monsters as we think they look, see, move, obviously try and put a fresh take on them with the right artist partner. But like, I really want werewolves and vampires and zombies and witches and ghosts and, um, Gorgons and, and all these other characters in my, in my stories, but I want them, I want there to be more to it than that. And, and, and so then the last kind of key to it was a number of women that I was talking to in the time I was really starting to get serious about writing the series who were telling me these stories about things that had happened to them in like the workplace or at school or, uh, you know, it, 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 mostly it was like at work or, or in, in, when they were in school, where like something really terrible had happened to them and kind of nobody believed them or they were just kind of like, uh, you know, ushered along through a system. And I thought, Jerry is not Jerry, Gerald. It's going to be Jerry with an eye. And she is going to be my hero, and then everything clicks because I could take all of my thoughts and feelings about the journey of recovery and addiction, and all the thoughts and feelings I have about you know working to gain uh, serenity through mental health work um, into this woman, who also, as you read the comic, you'll discover, is a victim of a really terrible uh, assault, and because of that assault, her career as a journalist was kind of ruined and now she's just drowning herself in depression and alcohol and um and i get that and i think a lot of people out there get that i think a lot of my readers whether they're alcoholics or they're in or they love alcoholics they have alcoholics in their families or uh, addicts we know that it comes in so many different shapes and forms through food through sex through shopping through people through codependency through many many work so it's really important engine of the story for me and all these monsters without outside of Jerry can be just as if not almost not as hard to overcome as the monsters within her and one more thing that i think is really important to point out when i was in the throes of my addiction i was fairly monstrous and i did things that were pretty monstrous i behaved in ways i stole i lied i scared people in ways that was just really devastating i hurt myself i hurt others um does that mean that I deserved a silver bullet? Does it mean that I needed a wooden stake through the heart? Was should I have been put away, caged, put down, you know, relegated to some island of, you know, Dr. Moreau patients or was there a confluence of science, research, community, spirituality, support that could be what we like to think of as a miracle, as the miracle, the cure, the, the 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 confluence of all these things through twelve step and all of the support that comes in recovery, um, that could then find me now sitting here today talking to you um, about writing a comic book. So Jerry's on that journey where she's starting to go. Wait a second, do I have to kill every single monster I encounter? Aren't some of these people like people that could use help? And, of course, the old guard, Vincent Frights, and her other people are saying, no, the only way to deal with a monster is to kill a monster. And Jerry thinks maybe there's another way, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, thank you for for speaking your truth, too. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's a a fascinating shift kind of in the power amplitude talking about the monsters in your story. They all leveled up, like they came from Ravenloft and D&D parlance or something, so not so easy to kill. So why make your dark denizens even more superpowered?
0: I've always been, this is a personal gripe I have. I've always felt that um, I've always felt that it was a little too easy to kill monsters in a lot of um, the narratives uh, that we see. I think it's always been a little frustrating for me when like your hero can walk into a space and just take out two dozen vampires with maybe uh reloading crossbow filled with uh wooden stakes or something like that. Like I sure. just think that defeating monsters is so much harder than we think and as the great Emile Ferris points out there are good monsters and bad monsters so rehabilitating a monster or helping a monster who's a good monster maybe to find their truth and to heal and recover is much harder than a potion, uh, than a you know spell. So for the stakes that I wanted to create for Jerry, and as she starts to realize that the monsters who have nearly been beaten into extinction and are now to serve their demon overlords, um, rebuilding their ranks by infiltrating news and information throughout humanity and confusing us and turning us against one another and spitting fake news. That was such a, a, a term, you know, in the last five years where you'd see people in this great positions of power who were manipulating masses of people by anything they didn't like, calling it fake news or anything that they did like, even if it wasn't really true, like kind of pushing that narrative along. The power of that is terrifying. So I was like, that's a lot harder to overcome as we've seen than just, oh, I can produce a memo that shows you lied. And, then that, and, and and that's happened in our real lives. We've watched this in real time go, wait, here's the actual results of this thing you're saying didn't happen. Whatever you want to point at. I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. get political, but you could be like, look, we have the evidence right here. You lost an election <laughs> or whatever the thing is. And then somebody can go, nope, nope, I'm going to make my own version of the truth. I'm going to make millions of people believe that. I have the power of media and information. So the monsters are doing that. So for me to just make a werewolf be able to be easily put down by a single silver bullet, I felt like it was too easy. So I thought the monsters have convinced all of us that the way to kill a vampire, let's say, is wooden stake through the heart, sunlight, holy water. It's mm-hmm. not true. It's a lie. They told us that to make it seem easy. The truth, as Jerry will learn. That a vampire is immortal. A vampire cannot be killed. They can only be immobilized. So, to stop a vampire, you have to actually remove its heart from its body. The heart will never stop beating. The heart is indestructible. That vampire's heart is immortal. Otherwise, vampires who get depressed could just kill themselves with a wooden stake. And I think that's too easy. Um, So, vampires can never die, but you could separate one's heart from its body. And then you have to keep the body separate from the heart. And then they're immobilized and Jerry will find out that just because you've separated a vampire from its heart doesn't mean that its heart can't be returned back to its body by maybe one of its servants uh to uh resurrect it. Um so I just I love this idea that like there's never going to be a time where Jerry Bartman's going to get to go up against a horde of zombies and just take them out with h- simple headshots because to destroy a zombie in the world of Count Crowley means you have to quarter it, you have to cut off its arms, its legs and its head. Um it's really hard. Uh, started with kind of my own personal like narrative gripe with how easy it seems to kill monsters in a lot of stories, and then I have now evolved it into meaning much more to the, the to the plot.
1: Okay. Uh, well, here's here's my thrown out nerd question. Um, yes, I get to ask you one. You probably haven't had this one before. Let so me hear. Do so you get to be Stan Lee? Okay, a Stan Lee character in a film adaptation of Count Crowley.
0: Who would you be? And why? I get to be like a, like a Stanley character. You mean yeah, it's like, a cameo character, like the background character. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Jerry goes to like so so as you'll see in the comic, the, the the TV station where Jerry is the horror host is currently being run by her brother. It used to be run by her parents, and the station is. Drowning in debt. It's about to go under, which is why the brother is tempted to take this offer from this new cable news network that is, he doesn't realize it, but Jerry will find out it's being run by vampires. So, the Count Crowley show, to everyone's surprise, becomes a hit. Jerry is like really good at her job and people really like her. So, I love the idea of her getting to be, let's say, flown up to like Chicago or maybe she goes to Duluth or she goes to. Uh, you know Scottsdale, somewhere where there's like a monster palooza convention, and she's signing autographs because they're trying to build the. We did this in um in the crossover uh one off that I had with uh, Steve Niles called Criminal Macabre Count Crowley yeah. the crossover. So I I love this idea that, like Jerry's at a convention, and I would get to play my horror host character, Doctor Fearless. Um. And that I would get to have some kind of interaction with Jerry. And then maybe a real monster comes along and actually kills me. That would be pretty awesome.
1: Well, my last question, um, I have to ask an an obligatory question about your acting career. Um, Great. There's probably not one you're expecting. Um, You're in Christopher Nolan's biographical film about Robert J. Oppenheimer, which is coming out this summer. I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Uh, which was the sister city to Los Alamos in terms of developing the Manhattan Project and the A-bomb. So I have a personal kind of connection to the story. I'm just curious, what drew you into the project, aside from Nolan
0: calling you again, of course? Well, that was it. That's what drew me in. The fact that, that Christopher Nolan wanted me to be a part of his vision for this film was one of the great, Phone calls, moments, I'll never forget when I found out that he actually wanted me to be in this film. I do have a lot of connection to the story in that not only was my grandfather on the AEC as a physician talking about the effects of nuclear energy on the human body and the research that he was doing on um, the effects of radiation with soldiers and scientists. Uh so he testified in front of Congress and he he was a he sat on the AEC for a number of years in the 60s I believe into the 70s. But my father, an immigrant from Iran, was uh self uh put himself through school in the United States, got a degree in engineering, ended up working for a company called Black and Veatch who had a big contract with the government in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, um where they were figuring out the safest and most effective ways to store, um, nuclear energy that was being disposed, like post use. So, um, during my childhood, my father was constantly on the road to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And, uh, I always found that very fascinating. It's, it scared me. The atomic energy represents a lot in my life. It represents a grandfather who I have a great deal of fear of uh, my father being absent quite a bit because he was taking care of atomic energy. Um, The history of mankind's relationship with atomic energy, uh, both weaponizing it, which terrifies me and as energy, which is intriguing and exciting. Um, And now this film is coming out. So it's really interesting that I get to be a tiny part of something this important.
1: Well, Count Crowley Volumes 1 and 2 are out. Um, You just mentioned the crossover with Niles. So what can we look for next?
0: I am deep in the throes of writing Volume 3 of Count Crowley. I can't wait for you guys to see it. If you get to the end of Count Crowley Volume 2, you will see we tease and tee up uh, monsters that are to come. Um, going, uh, into this new volume, the stakes just get higher and higher. Jerry, um, her battle with, uh, addiction is just beginning. And she learns that it's much harder than she thought it was going to be. And the monsters who exist and what they are and what they represent and what they can do continue to, um, shift her perspective on what she thinks is, uh, good and what she thinks is bad. And, um, you're in for quite a ride. I am having the time of my life creating this. I've also written a horror film called Hide Your Eyes which I will be starring in being directed by my amazing creative partner Erica Scoggins and um we're going to be hopefully filming that very soon. Um and Erica is actually a native of Tennessee. She oh, nice. is from Chattanooga. Oh yes, that's East Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, I love that place. Uh so Very excited to be making a film with her. I think she's the next one of the next great voices in genre storytelling. I am super looking forward to volume two and checking out the movie. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. David, thanks so much for carving out a little time to chat comics with me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, man. Have a wonderful day.
1: All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's interview, it would mean a lot to us if you take just a moment to rate, review, and or subscribe to notifications for the Cryptid Creator Corner. Jimmy and I work really hard to bring you all the best comic creator interviews, and we'd love your feedback. This is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Meta-Human Affairs. This one is a story All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Human Affairs
0: or DMA and check it out right now.